Greetings in the Master's name. You may have or you may have had probably at least some broken things at your house. Broken dishes, broken mirror, maybe a broken piece of furniture. Farmers sometimes have broken implements. What's more valuable when it's broken? Our heart, okay. Any other thoughts? Well, that's um, what Dana said is, is the truth. Is what we want to focus on this morning. Let's turn to Psalm 34, 18. And here we have that broken heart. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. And the word contrite there, uh, the Hebrew word means crushed literally to powder. The Revised Standard Version says, The Lord is near to the broken heart and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. The uh, word here is, is very similar to the one in uh, Psalm 34. Uh, here it means to collapse physically or mentally. To collapse physically or mentally. A broken and contrite heart. Thou wilt not despise. That's the meaning of contrite there. Well, I don't think any of us enjoy collapsing mentally or physically. In fact, yeah, we just don't want it. But it says here, that God won't despise that. Let's turn to Isaiah 57, 15. This helps us to understand it a little bit, I think. Isaiah 57, 15. So the title of the message is Broken. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. 
we have similar thought, well, not exactly similar, but maybe parallel thought in uh, James 4, 6. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. We have almost exactly the same words, just a different conjunction in 1 Peter 5, 5. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So God, in all of his... Um, um, preeminence in his uh, who he is his position his power I mean there's no describing it there's no comparing it uh, it because it's above everything he is the one that deserves all glory and so then when man is broken is humble is contrite that is the person that God can bless when man is trying to exalt himself, he's trying to be somebody himself, he's trying to um, think highly of himself, whatever, that's an affront to God. And so God blesses, God um, is pleased with the humble, the lowly, and we can say the broken. Isaiah 66, 1 says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things have mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Psalm 66, 1 and 2. I thought about asking if somebody could quote Matthew 11, 29, 30, but maybe we'll just turn to it. Matthew 11, 29, 30, and some of you I'm pretty sure could quote that. Come unto me. Yeah, come unto me, Jesus is saying. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, or take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Labor, heavy laden, A lot of cares come our way in the process of life and living. And Jesus says we'll find rest there with Him. A yoke, I was thinking that a yoke doesn't do much good to an animal that's not broken. Now, see, Brother Ben gave the illustration the other Sunday, or sometime at least recently, that about uh, watching um, his brothers break a young horse, and they yoked it with a older horse, and, and, and it had to get used to the wagon running behind it, so it ran around the field until it got tired with the other horse. So I guess in that case, the yoke 
even though it wasn't broken, it helped it to learn and helped it to, to be broken. But generally speaking, like if animals are pulling together, if they're not working together, the yoke doesn't really help a lot. Um, uh, an animal, a horse, oxen, whatever, that's not broken isn't much good. And um, particularly think about that in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek. That has to do sort of with brokenness too. If, if we want God's power in our life, if we want to be working in harmony with His power, we have to be broken. Well, what is brokenness? I have this little booklet called Lord Break Me, and uh, I'll read a, bit, read a little bit here in a minute, but a few things he mentions. Uh, conversion think when we've experienced that to, to come to that point most of us I mean um, not everybody comes conversion exactly the same way and we don't need to feel disenfranchised or whatever if we haven't done it just like somebody else but I think it all involves a point of the Holy Spirit convicting the old man resist and there has to be a brokenness and a yieldedness. So conversion, and along with that is repentance, confession, quick to apologize, restitution. That's all part of the package. By the way, um, you think about restitution, what a biblical example comes to your mind? Really good example of restitution. Yes, Zacchaeus. He said, I'll, I'll do it four times over for anything I've, you know, did wrong. Maybe not everybody has that ability uh, to do four times over, but anyway, he, he, was, he meant business. A person who's broken has a forgiving spirit. It's not... Uh, it's not It's not so hard to forgive when a person's broken. I mean, if I'm broken, it's not so hard for me to forgive if you've done something wrong against me. If I'm not broken, um, I probably... Um, something rises up in me, okay? When somebody does me wrong. Uh, in this book he says, there are multitudes of little wrongs that can be forgiven and forgotten immediately if we're a broken person. It's real victory when we can do it. Uh, the, in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, the, um, I see the phrase there. I guess you had that this morning. But the phrase is, beareth all things. The modern King James Version has that verse this way. Quietly covers all things. And then Phillips, which is actually sort of a paraphrase, says, love does not keep account of evil, 
or gloat over the wickedness of other people. And then if wrongs are more serious where we can't just automatically forgive and go on, if there's something that needs to be addressed, then Matthew 18 tells us how we go to the person and we don't go to everybody else first. We go to the person. We don't tell everybody else. You know, if we're, if, if we're functioning in a spirit of brokenness, um, you know, the, I guess the human tendency would be we want everybody else to know about our injuries or we at least want some others to know about our injuries. And how we've been wrong. Well, that's not brokenness. In fact, in this book, it's on a two-volume work on the Sermon on the Mount by Lloyd-Jones. And this is not on brokenness, it's on meekness, but it's very closely related. And I'm not sure you're going to be able to agree with this, but um, my thing is a little bit extreme. He says about meekness, he says, the person who's meek is not always watching himself in his own interest. He's not even sensitive about himself. He's not always on the defensive. We all know about this, do we not? Is it not one of the greatest curses in life as a result of the fall, this sensitivity about self? We spend the whole of our lives watching ourselves. But when a man becomes meek, he is finished with all that. He no longer worries about himself and what other people say. To be truly meek means we no longer protect ourselves because we see there is nothing worth defending. So we are not on the defensive. All that is gone. The man who is truly meek never pities himself. He is never sorry for himself. He never talks to himself and says, You are having a hard time. How unkind these people are not to understand you. He never thinks, How wonderful I really am if only other people gave me a chance. Self-pity. What hours and years we waste in this. But the man who has become meek has finished with all that. To be meek, in other words, means that you have finished with yourself altogether and you come to see you have no rights or deserts at all. You come to realize that nobody can harm you. John Bunyan puts it perfectly. He that is down need fear no fall. When a man truly sees himself, he knows nobody can say anything about him that is too bad. You need not worry about what men may say or do. You know you deserve it all and more. Once again, therefore, I would define meekness like this. The man who is truly meek is the one who is amazed that God and man can think of him as well as they do and treat him as well as they do. Well, that's pretty, uh, well, I don't know what you say, extreme. At least it's, it's pretty thought-provoking, okay? Let's put it that way. Now, this is a little different. Uh, Some um, talking about brokenness here in this little book. An area in which to manifest real brokenness is in the husband-wife relationship. The Bible is realistic in anticipating the possibility of tension in the marriage relationship. We think especially of Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The bitterness that can develop in a husband toward his wife is often so deep that he despairs of ever rising above it. Too often he simply gives up and seeks release through separation or divorce. Take the case of Jano and Jinx, obviously substitute names. The first time they met, they both knew they were meant for each other. During the months that followed, they were together at every opportunity. By the end of six months, they were engaged, and the wedding was set for six months later. But as things turned out, they were married four months after their engagement. The wedding went off with everyone playing his part in, in the little game quite well. 
and for the first year things went fairly smoothly. Then one day they had a violent quarrel and Jinx released all her suppressed disrespect of Jano for what had happened before their marriage. He repaid her in kind. The walls quivered and the windows bulged. After that it seemed that their marriage was in hopeless ruins. Jano found that the bitterness he felt toward his wife was greater than the love with which he had loved her. Friends suggested that they see a Christian marriage counselor, and they did. But underneath, they were as hard and unyielding as the bars of a castle. Finally, Jano applied for a divorce. But before the case came up in court, a Christian friend challenged him to try the way of brokenness. And the friend's wife reached Jinx at the same time with the same message. Why not break before the Lord and before one another? Why not put the past under the blood of Christ and make a new start? They did. It was the hardest thing that either had ever done. But they got together and made a complete confession. There was no hedging or self-vindication. It was as forthright a confession as one could wish for. Each one accepted responsibility for his part in their premarital sin. After a tearful confession to the Lord, they covenanted never to reproach one another with this sin again. They claimed the promise of God that they had been forgiven, 1 John 1, 9. They gladly forgave each other for everything, and each one decided that he must also forgive himself. When they rose from their knees, an enormous burden had been lifted. They realized that there would still be a period of adjustment, but the nuclear cloud of bitterness and strife had dissipated, and they realized the necessity for continual brokenness whenever future problems would arise in the home. Months later, Jano put down the evening paper and commented how strange it was that people would spend time and money at marriage counselors and psychiatrists and try any form of expensive treatment, but they would not try the way of brokenness. And yet, without brokenness, the other things were largely ineffective. And so, you know, in, uh, along that line, whether it's things that happen before the marriage or things that happen on the wedding trip or things that happen afterwards this is the way if there's if there's a resentment if there's you know problems from all that this is the way to get past it in all areas of life the Lord wants us to be broken he will wrestle with us as he wrestled with Jacob at Penal. he will break us of pride of he will try to break us of pride of self-will of an unforgiving spirit, of stubbornness, of gossip, of backbiting, of worldliness, of impurity, of temper, of every work of the flesh. He wants to change our name from Jacob to Israel, from cheat to prince, from powerless schemer to one who has power with God and man. He will wrestle with us till the breaking of the day and put our thigh out of joint. And of course he's speaking figuratively, but if you've ever experienced the Lord's breaking, you can identify a little bit with it. Then we will go through the rest of our life with the limp of a broken man whom God can use. God wants us to be blameless. None of us is sinless, but we can all be blameless. A blameless person is one, when he does commit some wrong, is quick to make it right. He does not let the sun go down on his wrath. By confession and apology, he keeps the lines of communication open with God and with his fellow men.
Think of what it would mean if we were all broken as we should be. In our own lives, it would mean greater power, greater happiness, and better health. The men who have the greatest spiritual impact on others are those who are yoked with Christ in meekness and humility. They are the ones who find fulfillment and rest in serving Him. Think of a home where the members keep short accounts with one another. Of course there are differences from time to time, but they are not allowed to build up, a, build up steam in the boiler. In the local assembly, brokenness is the road to revival. It is a fixed law in the spiritual realm that the tears of brokenness are the prelude to showers of blessing. We generally try everything else first, new building, new campaigns, new methods, but God is waiting for repentance and humiliation. When we repent, the blessing will flow. And then he gives that verse in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen: If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4. Start reading at verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall, shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
So in verse 6, the reference, I think he's, the reference is to creation. And very, very interesting. God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so, the, Paul here is thinking about that in our personal experience. Where there was darkness, where there is darkness, God says, let there be light. That's beautiful. Because I don't know what it was like there at the beginning in the creation, but when that light burst forth, I'm sure it was glorious. And, and Paul says that's what happens in our hearts. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Okay, but he says we have this treasure, or one translation says jewel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency, um, see, I wonder what the excellency of the power, the surpassing greatness, one translation had. The surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not of us. So this glory of God, you know, the light that dawns in the power of God in our lives, it's not for our exaltation, but it's for God's glory. In this earthen vessel thing, thinking about that, you know, Jeremiah talks about the potter and the clay, how, well, the vessel was marred and the potter remade it. Um, and is it Jeremiah or Isaiah where it says, you know, can't the potter do what he wants to with the clay? Can't God do what he wants to with us? And thinking a little more about clay, you know, in Genesis it says God formed man. Now I was I, I was curious about that. I looked it up, and the Hebrew word has the idea of formed, like a potter forms clay. But however it was, you know, I'm, we imagine maybe how God did it, and I'm not sure we actually know. But you know, supposedly God took the clay and He formed a man. And. Uh, Thinking of us as earthen vessels, I doubt that man has ever been as pliable as he was when God made him out of a lump of clay. And then God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, and he had a will. He had a will. And he became hard. That clay became hard. But then the Bible talks about a second Adam. And that's Christ. And that's Christ. And that's Spirit. When the Holy Spirit gets hold of us, He mellows that clay. He becomes soft again.
Anyway, Apostle Paul talking about these earthen vessels. He's kind of talking about the limitations of the earthen vessel and the brokenness. Trouble on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Yeah, I don't know if I can say that. Um, trouble on every side, yet not distressed. I don't know, sometimes get kind of distressed. Perplexed, but not in despair. And the word that, that word has the idea of crushed. Perplexed, but not crushed. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. One tr translation or paraphrase, I forget which, said knocked down, but not knocked out. Always, and here's the key, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. The life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. God told Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. We don't like to be weak. I mean, I, I, um, yeah, I, I guess I can say I don't like to be broken. And maybe, maybe I'm not, um, maybe I'm thinking too much just about um, things in life. I mean, you know, you don't like to be sick. You don't like to feel not good. You like to be able to, whatever you're facing, you like to be able to do it. You like to be able to accomplish. You don't like to feel limited. You don't feel like you can't do it. Now, we like the verses that say, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And Paul, he wasn't a pushover. He's pretty much of a go-getter, it seems to me. But yet, but, but then you read all the things that he experienced. I mean, beatings, shipwreck, stoning. We don't look forward to those kind of things. We don't look forward to the breaking experiences in life. But that's where the power of God comes. And, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder, well, um, well, yeah, how should I say it? About what lacks. Where's the power of God? To, 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 to work on a fellow. We know people have a will. We go, oh, well, they got a free will. You know, they have to decide. You know, it's their choice. And where's the where's the power of God to get in? I mean, is it because it's trying to do too much of my own strength? Where's the power of God? We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. The life also of Jesus may be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So the impossible situation. You know, um, it's, um, I think I told you about the three life verses the Lord gave me when I was young. Gave me Matthew 6.33 and then about the time I was ordained and was going on the CLE workshop trips and stuff, the Lord gave me Jeremiah 45.5. Seekest thou great things for thyself, seek them not. And then just a couple of years ago, 
they gave me that one and, and I wasn't really ever thinking I'd have another one uh, but it just stood out to me so much I was reading in the Berkeley version and this is what it says in the Berkeley version but as for me I would seek God and I would commit my calls to God who does great and unsearchable things marvelous works without number I need that because it says I'm going to commit things to God I'm not going to get all stewed up about myself I'm not going to try and I'm not going to try and plow through on my own I'm going to commit it to God and I need that just relax you know I get well, I, I don't know if I told I probably told you and some of you almost feel proud about it you know but like last year a mistake was made on my taxes and it was such a dumb mistake and aggravated me I mean when they typed in my I think I told y'all my social security was fourteen thousand six hundred and sixty three dollars I think ours together and they sent me a letter and said I owed them sixteen hundred and some dollars because and I called and I said why and they said because your social security was one hundred forty six thousand six hundred thirty three they had added a three to the end when they typed it in it was so and they had five supposedly error catching processes in place and none of them caught it evidently and I'm the one that had to make copies of all my stuff and send it in and a letter so I wrote two letters to the commissioner of the IRS so and I finally got an apology from Atlanta but see but as for me I would seek God and I would commit my calls to him. That's not quite what I did, was it? Or at least, there's times to try to fix things, but we gotta watch our spirit. Uh, verses 10 and 11, Williams' translation has it this way, always being exposed to death as Jesus was, so that in my body, the life of Jesus may be clearly shown. I want that and you want that. But we might not want what it takes to get there. For all the time I continue to live, I'm being given up to death for Jesus' sake. So that in my mortal lower nature, the life of Jesus may be clearly shown. And that's what we want. And, and brokenness is what gets us there. The brokenness of spirit, which makes no resistance to the Father's hand, is a main element of fertility in souls wherein he works. It is not power he seeks from us, but weakness. Not resistant force, but yieldedness to him. All power is his. His strength is perfected in weakness. And so... As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, or is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory or boast in my infirmities, my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest or dwell upon me. 
Let's kneel for prayer.